Well, as we continue in our service this afternoon, I'd like to bring to you perhaps a short devotional message concerning some kings. And for those who know, on some certain Sunday afternoons, I've had the privilege of preaching to you and start a new series talking about what I've titled as a series, The Biographies of the Divided Kings. But as has been usual, I'm going to take a little bit of a detour. All right. I got the right one going. So Matthew chapter 2 is where I'm going to spend the rest of our time for this service today. We're still going to be looking at some kings, and I'm going to explain some of uh, the characters in this story. Uh, and this is, of course, I, I try to remind myself, this is more than a story. I had a boss uh, at, that I worked for before when speaking to him about spiritual things, he would bring up the fact that the Bible is just a bunch of stories. I, I hesitate to use the word story, except if you want to tag out along with that the fact that it's a true story. This is history right here that we hold in our hands. So I want to make that clear also as we look at this passage today. These are real people that really lived, and we can learn something from the examples that have been left behind for us in Scripture. So you're there in Matthew chapter 2. Today we're going to look at three different kinds of Christmas kings. Let's start reading in verse number one. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophets, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Lord, I pray for this message that in the short time that we have this afternoon, you would help us to see through your word these different people that you have given time on the earth to be able to give us examples that we can learn from. And for anyone here today, under the sound of my voice, who maybe does not know of the ultimate King of Kings, I pray that that person would come to know you as not only King and Lord, but also as their Savior. And it's in Jesus' name, that King, that we pray. 
So let's quickly look at these three different types of kings that we have. This won't be so much a verse-by-verse -verse study as much as it will be kind of a character study as we pull some things out of Matthew chapter 2. The first kind of king I'd like to look at today is the genuine worshiper. The genuine worshiper. So let's consider who these genuine worshipers, and really uh, there, there's more than just three. You know, we, we talk about songs this, we sing this time of year, we three kings of Orient are, and when they sing that song, they're referring to these wise men. Now, whether they actually were kings and whether there actually were three of them, uh, I believe that can be scrutinized. And I believe personally that you know, it, they weren't actually kings per se, but they were uh, perhaps at best probably a step below a king because uh, you look at some history regarding who, the, who these people are. The, the Greek word, uh, of course, is where we get the term magi from. You know, perhaps you've heard of the magi. And so these magi have a history which some would tie back all the way even to Abraham, perhaps. Uh, and you go to Genesis 25, verse number 6, and you have some of Abraham's descendants that went into the East Country. Some would go back that far. I believe uh, you fast forward in time, and you have maybe more of the origin of who these, why, where these wise men came from, and that would be around the times of Daniel. And you have those who were communing with Daniel. You had, of course, uh, sorry, names are escaping me right now, uh, but the, in, the, in the kingdom that he served there, you had those, uh, the, 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 the term that the Bible uses is the presidents. You know, of course, the, this king, uh, they, they were outlawing prayer and all that, but uh, on behalf of Daniel. But you had him trying to uh, work with all of his different, uh, you might call them astrologers. You know, how many of you are familiar with astrology today and what that encapsulates? I'm not talking about astronomy. I'm talking about astrology. That's a totally different thing. You know, astrology is kind of its own little worship system in a way where people... Uh, divide up the sky, and then they, they use the sky to determine people's fates kind of thing. So some of pe some of the people perhaps were people like that, that, you know, like when they would call people in to interpret dreams, you know, you had uh, Nebuchadnezzar who had, who needed to have his dream interpreted, and he would bring in his astrologers, his, uh, his, uh, his wise men, if you will, who would help him to determine the meaning of his dream. And of course, who was the one that had the interpretation of the dream but Daniel himself, who got it, of course, from the Lord. And so that's perhaps a little bit of the origin. Now, how did we get to the point where we're, we're singing songs like We Three Kings? You know, where, where did this notion come from? You know, why do we even call these wise men kings in the first place? Uh, well, there is this guy, uh, in tying back to uh, some of what Pastor Walker said about uh, different religions that would put a Christian name on themselves. And the, so the Roman Catholics, actually, there's an archbishop in the 12th century that dug up these bones that were supposedly these three wise men. And so they, they actually have a, a shrine to this day where they have, where they place these, these, the bones of these supposed wise men, these, uh, these kings, if you will. So, and that's how they're regarded. And people will make pilgrimages out to go see these things. And so, also, 
you know, uh, Wycliffe, uh, some renderings of his translation actually in some of the, the notes have the word kings in there when it's talking about these wise men here. Yeah, so how do we get to that point? That's perhaps a little bit of the history. Let's look now at the character of these wise men. First thing I note about them is their spiritual diligence. This, this, we see them throughout the story you know, ask, asking and inquiring after, who is this king? Now, these were not your ordinary wise men as far as perhaps you might think of an astrologer. You know, somehow, somewhere along the road, they learned of the true God, and they are looking to seek out this sign that they had been given. And so we see in verse number two uh, that they are asking when they come to Jerusalem. So notice they're coming to Jerusalem that where is he that is born king of the Jews? They are, they are exerting an effort to try to find this. They've made this long journey. I mean, who knows exactly how far they've come, but they put in the effort to seek out this, this other king that is, uh, has been prophesied and spoken of. You notice that they say, for we have seen his star. Now that, that terminology there, his star, might remind you of perhaps Balaam's prophecy back in Numbers chapter 24, where he's talking about that star that shall arise out of Jacob. And so you have them looking for his star in the east. Now, of course, they had, and I believe it really was just a miraculous sign of God that they saw, that this star had been leading them to this point and had up to this point brought them to Jerusalem. And so now they're in Jerusalem, you know, and, you know, people will talk about how it was three. It was perhaps even more. And some of what people say concerning that is, you know, why would Jerusalem, you see it in verse number three, why are they in such a stir? You know, there must have been enough of these people going around asking questions about this king. You know, where, where is this king? You know, where, where is he? We're looking for him. And so it was enough to cause a stir around Jerusalem to where you would see in verse number three, you know, not only was Herod worried, we'll talk about him in a minute, but then all Jerusalem with him. So there was quite a stir brought about by this here. You know, we sang, uh, or at least you saw in the lyrics, we actually sang the song several weeks ago, the first Noel. And there was that second verse there where the wise men were following the star and to seek a king was their intent. This, this was something that they had personally chosen to do because they wanted to come worship before the very king of kings himself and not just some earthly king as we're going to see them interacting with Herod here, and uh, we'll see as they pursue this here. One other thing I'd like to note about this spiritual diligence, they were following the light they were given. And that, and that is what uh, God honors. We see that with Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. God uh, had shown him some light. Cornelius uh, used that light to then seek after more light, which then led God to send Peter to him and preach the gospel to him. Now, God honors those who seek out that which the Lord has revealed to them. And so I believe these wise men are doing just the same thing as they are, you know, not only they go to Jerusalem, so then they're asking around, you know, they're talking with Herod, they're talking with other people there, and Herod, through his deception and his inquiries with other people, led them to Bethlehem. So they were finding out this information so that they could Go worship this king of kings. Second thing I'd like to note about them is their joyful reverence. So now they've been given this information 
And you see their reaction to this in verse number 9. That the, the star that they had been following came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. This, you know, this isn't just, you know, man, I'm glad to be off the road. You know, we travel this time of year, right? Usually a lot of people do to go visit family and whatnot. You know, aren't you, aren't you just glad to get there sometimes? You, know, you deal with, Pastor Walker was talking about traffic and dealing with traffic. And sometimes making those long drives can be pretty strenuous. Well, you know, who knows? You know, and, and it's not like they had our modern conveniences where they could just hop in their hop in their truck or hop in their van and make this journey over to Jerusalem to go follow this star. You know, they, you know, perhaps were riding some animals, and 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 maybe in the picture behind me you see that camel there. You know, camel uh, is often how we see them depicted. Um, and, and I would like to point out, by the way, that uh, despite how nice of an image that is, it's not historically accurate because, you know, we're going to look at the timetable here, and, and maybe you've heard this before, where the, the wise men didn't come until much later after. And in fact, we're going to look at a verse that gives some indication as to uh, what, what the positioning of everyone was here. So they rejoice with exceeding great joy. If you had been on the kind of journey that they had been on, wouldn't you be glad too to have finally reached your destination? And not only to have reached your destination, but to have accomplished the purpose of that destination. You know, and and I in my in my journey to find the Lord, you know, that was that was, it was a journey. And and maybe you have the same kind of testimony that. Finding the Lord for you was a journey that the Lord led you on, and light would be shed to you through various people, perhaps, who would give you various truths from Scripture. But ultimately, you then came to that destination point where you found the King of Kings, and you chose him to be your Savior, and he now has saved you from your sins, and you have an eternal destination in heaven. So in verse number 11, here's the hint I was talking about. When they were come into the house, notice they didn't come to the manger. You know, they didn't come to that little cattle stall, you know, that we sing about. You know, that's what the shepherds got to see. You know, the angel went out and announced to the shepherds, hey, come see this newborn king. That was the shepherds. They came to the manger. The wise men came to the house. So if we wanted to make this picture more accurate, you know, maybe we'd put some walls up on that uh, little barn there, you know, and he wouldn't be sleeping in a manger like that. He would have proper accommodations. Uh, but we see this here uh, as they express their joyful reverence. Let's talk about more of their joyful reverence. So we see their expression of true worship here as they, they it says there in verse 11, they fell down and worshiped him. The word worship itself, and Pastor Walker mentioned this in the morning message when talking about uh, talking about God's glory, and in that message there, talking about the, the, the reverence and the respect. Well, the word worship here, you know, ascribing worth, that, that is worship, worth-ship. That's where we get the word worship from. You, you are assigning weight to that. You, you are esteeming him very highly. So that is the word worship here, and it says that they fell down. So that would 
I, I would demonstrate it for you, but for one, I'm afraid I'd break something, and two, I'm afraid I wouldn't be able to get up after it. So I probably won't demonstrate it for you. But this this was a very intimate time for them. You know, they fell down, and, and to worship, this it, part of the meaning of the word, too, is basically lay yourself flat on the floor. That That's kind of the idea of the, the level of respect that they had for him and this worship that they expressed. They also expressed it through their gifts. And I believe this is where some people get the idea that there were three kings because they offered three different gifts here. Well, I, I imagine there's probably a whole entourage of these wise men, and they uh, perhaps had representatives that brought to them these three different gifts here. And maybe you've heard this before about the, the meaning of these gifts. You have the gold, which represents that which a king might have. And Jesus, of course, is worthy. He is the king of kings. You have the frankincense, and, and incense was something that was often used in temple worship. You know, what was Zacharias doing in the temple? He was fulfilling his lot and burning incense at the temple, Luke chapter 1. So that was what he was doing, burning incense. So the office of a priest, and of course, Jesus is our high priest. And then you have the myrrh, which prophesies of the death that he would eventually face after he had come to the earth and lived on it for some 33 years. So all of these different gifts have their own special significance. You know, it also says something about the wise men themselves that talk about them not necessarily being kings, but perhaps they were in the courts of kings and perhaps were quite wealthy in and of themselves. I mean, how many ordinary people are you going to walk up to that are just able to flash gold before you? Probably not very often. Uh, well, I mean, this time of year, you might spend a pretty penny to, to make your spouse proud or you know, perhaps a parent or something like that. You might spend some good money on a good gift. But uh, I'll, I'll talk more about some of the significance of the gifts in a practical way later. But this, like we do when, when we give to a ministry that we believe in, we are giving to God and the purpose that he is trying to to accomplish in the world. We, we are putting our work on the work that God is doing when we give towards the Lord in that way. And so that's how we can relate it to ourselves. So the third thing I'd like to note about them is their patient obedience. Looking at verse number nine there, so they had had this meeting with Herod. So Herod had given them the instructions. I want you to go and search for the child in Bethlehem, and when you found him, return to me. Notice what it says at the beginning of verse number 9 there. It says, when they had heard the king. Now, I don't know maybe if there was an implication, perhaps, that they were going to do what the king said. We don't notice it here in the text. But uh, perhaps it's something that can be assumed that uh, they maybe just kind of quietly nodded and went their way. And maybe they were already having some uneasy feelings. In fact, uh, I'll allude to that a little bit in uh, verse 12. But it says there that they heard the king. It doesn't specifically say in the text that they agreed to what he said. So as we look through the rest of this text, uh, for what it's worth, we can keep that in mind. So verse number 12 here, they received some direction from God. It says there, being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod. So obviously God knew something was up because God knew Herod's heart. 
and we're going to look at Herod very briefly here in a moment. They were warned of God in a dream that they should not to re- not to return to Herod. And maybe they're thinking their suspicions were true at this point. This idea of their uh, being warned of God is, is a, it's a passive sense. Uh, and part of the, the meaning of the word itself is that they were receiving a response to a question that they had asked. That, that's kind of the background of the Greek word that's used there. You know, they were receiving a response to a question. So that leads me to believe that they were asking God for direction. You know, what, do, what do we do now? You know what? Maybe they had some uneasy feelings about Herod, and they, they weren't really sure they wanted to betray the location of the Messiah. And so they weren't going to, they didn't have the heart to put it in Herod's hands what happened. Uh, now we're going to see what Herod does. But I believe uh, they are receiving that direction because they had asked for that direction from God. So we see what I say there is their patience, obedience. You know, we, sometimes we get tired of waiting for that answer from God uh, in whatever difficulty we might be going through. But you know, we just need to, to be patient and keep asking and seeking and knocking, just as we've heard already on Sunday morning. So their patience, obedience. So we've looked at these people who I believe are genuine worshipers. Second of all, let's look at a deceptive pretender. A deceptive pretender. Let's look at this man, Herod. This man called King Herod, the second of our kings, if you will. Now, historical documents will point out that, and that Herod was kind of a loose cannon in a way. He, he had a reputation for being very crafty and very cruel, even if you just look at historical documents. And so that was something uh, that was known of him. Even we see it here in Matthew chapter 2, we see examples of that. Now, the fact that he's even called a king is a title that was given to him. He didn't, he didn't necessarily earn that title. He's, he's kind of a, a local monarch, if you will. So th- this wasn't necessarily, a, he wasn't a full-out king, if you will. You'd have to go all the way up to Caesar Augustus or um, whoever was in place at that time. It would have been, it would have been that, you know, considering Luke chapter 2. So, King Herod, let's look at this King Herod and why I call him the deceptive pretender. One fact I'd like to note about him is that he is easily disturbed. <laughs> you know people that are easily disturbed. You know, it, it doesn't take much to rock their boats. And uh, you know, the moment you say something out of line, who knows what else is going to happen. It reminds me of the proverb of, uh, you, know, it, you know, stay far away from an angry woman. Something like that. You don't want to get in Herod's way here. You know, once you um, get him going in the wrong direction, so King Herod easily disturbed. We see here, verse number three, that when Herod the king had heard these things, you know, these wise men had come to tell him about this star they had seen, and they were seeking this king. Herod made might have been thinking to himself, well, "Well, wait a minute, I'm the king." Why are they looking for a king here in my domain, in my territory? This, this was a threat to him. He wasn't going to let that just sit idly by without doing something about it. And so he recognizes that. And so he goes to his, uh, his entourage here. It says in verse 4, when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. 
and, and I kind of like the flavor that the King James puts on the word there. This isn't, this isn't just, you know, let, let's have a business meeting, let's ask some questions. Although I've heard of some church business meetings that get pretty animated sometimes. But uh, he here is, it says he demanded of them where Christ should be. Born. Who, who is this king that they're talking about? Who's going to come steal my throne? And he wasn't going to let it happen. One thing I'd like to note about these chief priests and these scribes, and I think Pastor Walker alluded to it earlier, of all the people that should have known that Messiah was coming, wouldn't you think that they would know? And they, they know, they can quote the verses. In fact, they quote here Micah 5, chapter, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. They're quoting that prophecy. They know of Messiah. But do we see them going to seek out the king? That's kind of another little side message. I threw another character in there for you. But uh, these chief priests and scribes were, are offering him this information. So then he takes this information. You know, th this isn't so much uh, for the reason that he gives later. You know, he, is, he is trying to stamp out this threat now. He's, he's conniving and he's uh, going through his motions to try to make sure that this king never gets to power. So that's why he, he's at, he, this is all in a certain order here. He's going to uh, these people first. Now, I believe there's an element of pride in here, too. You know, how dare this person come and say he's going to be a king? I'm supposed to be the king here. So we see him as we move on here. Not only is he easily disturbed, but he's cunningly determined. And I've already kind of noted his craftiness. So he is, as I said, gathering this intelligence. You know, this isn't for the purpose of, of pure things. Uh, he, is, he is trying to eliminate a threat here. So I, you can take this for what it's worth also. I, I notice in verse number four, it says that he demanded of them. So when he's trying to get his answers uh, from those close to him, he is, he is uh, I can imagine in it, maybe a slightly more public setting, demanding of them these things. Whereas we see in verse number seven, you see Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, this is a secret meeting now that's taking place. Hey, hey guys, I've heard about this, uh, this king that's coming. You want, to, you want to tell me a little bit about him? You know, this, this isn't him trying to gather information. This is him trying to butter up the wise men so that they'll, they'll divulge all of their information. And, and the wise men are willing to uh, agree up to a point here. So they, they offer him what information. It says they dil he diligently inquired what time the star appeared. You know, so where, what, where, when did you see this? How long was the star up? He's trying to gather all this information about this, this star that they had seen. And then, of course, in verse number 8, he gives the excuse, uh, When you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. Now, I think those who have read Matthew chapter 2 know the rest of the story, and we know that he indeed does not have the purpose of doing that. This is all uh, under a false pretense. He is pretending to be pious. And if we're not careful, you know, that's a trap that we can fall into as well. That uh, you know, We don't want people to know maybe what's really going on in our hearts sometimes, about things that are happening or things that we're dealing with. And so we'll put, we, we will put on the false front too and we'll pretend that we look nice and we'll pretend that we want to come to church and worship God. Whereas really deep down in our hearts, 
it's not really set in our hearts to do so. And God help us as we deal with that. So in all of these examples, some of these are good things to follow. Some of these are things to watch out for and avoid. So we see that he's cunningly determined. Lastly, we see that he is wickedly desperate. You know, kind of like uh, King David when uh, he couldn't, he couldn't get Uriah to do what he wanted to do. He went out and basically had Uriah killed. And God puts that blood on his hands. Yeah, and as I mentioned a few weeks ago, he went off his rocker. You know, he, he was so far gone that it didn't matter what it took to be able to cover up what he had done. Uh, he was going to do what he wanted to do. We know the verse from Jeremiah where the, you know, the heart is desperately wicked. And so I've kind of twisted the words around to describe Harry here. He is wickedly desperate. And we see that in his actions here. Uh, in fact, verse number 16, after the wise men have gone another way here, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth, and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Those I can't believe they double-crossed me like that. Those were my friends, you know. You know, you know imagine that, uh, that, that businessman who maybe is trying to, to sweeten up that deal for some CEO and trying to, to get these companies to work together, and something doesn't go his way, and he's, you know, he's taking them out to dinner and offering them all these expensive gifts, and of course, Christmas time, hey, let's throw a big party. We'll try and butter these people up. And then to find out, oh, Sorry, not interested. And then they move on. And man, that guy would get really upset because of all the effort that he put into that. You know, imagine how Herod feels here. Those wise men, I thought I trusted them. You know, they. And so we see his reaction here in verse 16 is he he just really goes off the deep end. Well, if they're not going to help me, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And so he sends out some some people on behalf of him to commit this atrocity in verse number 16 to, to slay all of these children. And of course, it was according to the time that they had been told. We, we see the timetable there from two years old and under. And that, looking back at verse number 7, comparing there, that's the time which he had uh, learned from the wise men. That's, that's kind of the... So the beginning of the two years would have been that first sighting of the star, according to the wise men, and the end of that two years would be what happens here with Herod slaying these children. You know, what, what happens when we don't get our way? <laughs> or maybe it's Christmas and you know, looking at the gifts under the tree and you open everything up and you didn't get what you want. Take matters in your own hands. But we need to guard our hearts that we don't fall into that trap of being like Herod, where when things don't go our way, we're going to become wickedly desperate in trying to accomplish the desires and the lusts of our heart. And in this case, it was to stamp out the opposition. Pastor Walker already mentioned earlier, Psalm 76, verse number 10, you know, that even the, the wrath of man praises God, and the remainder of it, God will restrain. And Glad that we had the same idea there. Uh, Psalm 76, verse 10. I'm thinking also of Psalm 2. And, and this, is, of course, is a very prophetic psalm. As we see there. 
And this is as much true for the death of Christ as it is for the birth of Christ, I believe. Psalm 2, it says, Why do the even rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, and so then it goes on, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. So we have King Herod here who has despised the authority of the Lord here, in a sense, and is going after the anointed one. Now, he is in the, the infant stage here, but yet still going after him. You see what it says in verse number 4 in Psalm 2 there. God already knows all of this. And God is uh, mildly amused. And so verse number 4, He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. It's not so much laughing, ha, 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 that's funny. This is more... If only he knew what was coming to him. So it has more of that serious tone. You know, when we see things coming like that, you know, that's, that's when we have those kind of uncomfortable chuckles to ourselves sometimes. And the Lord we see, I believe, reacting that way up in heaven. And I believe perhaps so with the way that King Herod is dealing with this. But, you know, the, the silver lining in this Pastor's already talked about how there are so many things that fulfill prophecy. We see numerous things here in Matthew chapter 2 that, despite the actions of Herod, trying to go against the will of God here, God still accomplishes his will. You know, Jesus is protected. And in fact, well, when we talk about Jesus later, he is, of course, the ultimate in terms of these three kings. Uh, God manages to fulfill prophecy despite the fact that Herod is going against God's will here. So thirdly today, I'd like to look at the humble ruler. Now isn't, isn't that who we should want to be like as Jesus? You know, we, as Philippians 1.6 would say, are being conformed to his image. We are, uh, until the day of Christ comes, that's, that's the work that God is doing on us as believers, those who know the Lord. And so, we want to seek to be more like Christ. And the things I'm going to show you here, these are privileges, I believe, that are afforded to those who know the Lord. So firstly, I'd like to look at some kingly prophecies. And these are, these are things that uh, we see here in the text, you know, and we see you know, he's, he is the king of kings. You know, how could we ever be you know, like the Lord. Well, maybe on the earth, you know, we, we have our human frailties that we deal with, but you know, Jesus Christ uh, is continuing that work in us. And one day we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We, we are going to be able to have uh, many of these qualities that Christ himself demonstrates. You know, we won't have his godlike qualities, but uh, we can have his, his other qualities as a part of our lives and the way that we live. And hopefully that's a work that God has already been doing in your hearts. Let's talk about some of these kingly prophecies. I've already mentioned Balaam here. We see that uh, mentioned back in verse 2. We have seen his star in the east. They are looking for the king of the Jews, and I believe that was in reference to prophecy. Uh, Pastor Walker even mentioned earlier Isaiah 60, verse number 3, talking about Gentiles who would come to seek that light. These wise men are Gentiles that are coming to seek that light. Now, it's interesting that it mentions in that verse that, that kings shall also do that. 
I believe they fall into the category of Gentiles more than they fall into the category of kings. But again, that's something that I tried to explain earlier. So we have that. We have the other prophecy mentioned in verse 6 from Micah 5, verse number 2, talking about thou Bethlehem, the land of Judah, from which this Messiah would come. There are things that we've already looked at in my introduction to the kings. We looked at the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel chapter 7. A couple verses I'd like to pull out of there. And 2 Samuel 7, verse number 12, and also verse number 25. As, as these are specific references to kind of the, or sorry, 1 Kings chapter 7. I'm going to look quickly. Over right now. Did I write there? Oh, Samuel. That's why I'm having trouble. I'm thinking, I'm thinking about Kings. That's why I have it on my brain. I was looking at Kings. I forgot that I said Samuel. So it's uh, second Samuel. See, I can't even get the right Samuel here. <laughs> Bear with me here. So the Davidic covenant here, second Samuel 7, verse 12. So God now saying to David, And when thy days shall be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. Of course, he's talking about the earthly kings that would come from David's line. But ulti the ultimate fulfillment of that is uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 11, unto this you know, unto us is born this day in the city of David a king, which is Christ the Lord. A savior, sorry, savior. I said king, didn't I? I'm sorry. <laughs> Interpret what I say there. So verse 25 also. And now, O Lord God, the word that thou hast spoken, this is David speaking back to the Lord now, concerning thy servants, and concerning his house, establish it forever. And do as thou hast said. So talking about the fact that this is more than just earthly kings. We are talking about the Messiah that would come from the line of David. Whose uh, lineage is given in Matthew chapter 1. Just before the passage that we're looking at today. So how does that apply to us? How, how can we seek to be like him? Well, again, as if you choose to believe in the Lord. There are many promises that God gives to you. And... God has made us, who know the Lord, to be kings with him. Now, Revelation chapter 1, verse number 6, gives indication of that. I won't read all the verses here. Revelation 5, verse 10, Revelation 20, verse number 6, and Revelation 22, verse 5, all talk about various believers who have been afforded that privilege of serving alongside the Lord in that capacity. We see other allusions to such things in the parables of the talents and the pounds, where authority is given to certain people. First uh, Corinthians chapter 6, talking about us judging angels. We're going to have a measure of authority, and we're going to do it together with the Lord. So, kingly prophecies here. Second of all, bountiful provision, back in Matthew chapter 2. These gifts that they had been given in verse number 11 by these wise men. You know, we talk about their spiritual significance. What about the practical purpose that they might have served in their life? Because you see what's going to happen here in verse number 13 is that God is going to instruct Joseph through a dream to run to safety and go to Egypt and go away for a while. 
And if you're familiar with the circumstances of our Savior's birth, you know that it was a very humble scene, uh, a very uh, intimate setting. And they were not of the greatest means. We learned that from Luke chapter 2 and the offerings that they brought. They brought the, the lowest of the lowest offerings that they could bring for the, the presenting of the child. So they were not people of great means. So this, this gold that they had, they could take with them to Egypt in exchange for you know, being able to survive there in Egypt. So a practical purpose. And we have promised from the Lord that God will uh, give to those who give. Philippians 4.19 uh, Psalm 37, verses 25 and 26, and then Luke 6, 38, which, uh, just to give you a little bit of a teaser, uh, Pastor Walker's kind of headed that direction. So thirdly and lastly today, we see the timely protection, and I've already alluded to that, in the, in the, the dreams that is given to Joseph here. You know, don't go this way, or in various times where he's directing him to go certain directions here. Verses 13, verse 13, verses 19 and 20, and verse 22 all times when God gives them direction to be able to save the, the life of this child. Of course, this is all part of God's purpose here. And, and the fact that they end up in Nazareth, you look at verse 23 there, you know, in trying to, to get away from this wicked King Herod, uh, and then finding out that his, his wicked son also is reigning now, so God moves them this direction to this backwater village called Nazareth, where God allows them to live more or less a quiet and peaceable life. You know, and the, the ruler here was a person that was much more civil than the other Herod, and so God knew what he was doing when he led them there. So I would like to finish with that today in just giving you these thoughts here, talking about these, I call them three Christmas kings, and I've described some of the background of that already. You know, which, which one would you most like to be like? Of all of these people, there's some qualities and some character traits that perhaps we can draw from the text. And so next time you read Matthew chapter 2, or maybe take some time this week, when you're sitting around as a family reading Matthew chapter 2, that you'll consider perhaps some of these things that we look at. And in your own time, the Holy Spirit can perhaps show you other things that I haven't revealed to, to you today. And I pray that the Lord uses his word ultimately to be able to work in your hearts.